It is Wednesday, April 13th, here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And Jared, we're about two weeks away from the NFL draft right now. Going to be doing our usual Draft Sharks retreat to watch a draft, make knee-jerk reactions to everything. I'm looking forward to it. I love this time of year. Me too. And, I, and you know, we've spent the past, uh, what, month or two now digging into this class. I'm ready to talk about it. I finally feel like I'm you know, knowledgeable enough on, on this, on these classes at all positions to, to start talking about them, breaking down, you know, who's going to be the top guys for, for fantasy. And that is what we're going to start doing today. Next week, we're going to have a guest on to help us talk through the wide receivers and tight ends. But today it's quarterbacks, it's running backs to get the prospect talk started. We have 27 free dynasty prospect scouting reports available now on DraftSharks.com. So even if you're not a DS insider, you can head over there, read all of them. You can look back on all of our rookie write-ups from the previous five years to see how we did on those, see if it's even worth reading through these 27. So if we're giving that away for free, you can just imagine what's hiding behind the paywall. So, you know, check out DraftSharks.com, then become an insider. Let us help you win. As we mentioned, Jared, we're going to talk through the running backs today. And it seems like the general opinion on this running back class is that it's not very good. What's kind of your overview before we dive in? Yeah, I, I went back. It's funny. I always have to kind of go back and remind myself who, who were in the last few running back classes. So I did that this morning. I, I think this year's class stacks up pretty closely to last year's. I, I think last year there were three running backs we were kind of excited about that we thought had RB1 potential. Uh, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams. I think there's two this year, so it kind of falls a bit short there. But beyond that, I mean, I think there's, there's a big drop-off after the top two. But I think there's reasonable depth. I think there's another, you know, 10 to 12 guys that I've found that I think can be NFL contributors and guys that at least, you know, have some interest to us in fantasy. Yeah, I agree. I think if you're looking at this class by itself, it's not that exciting, but it's very easy to forget what the previous few classes looked like. Now, 2020's class was excellent. CEH is the bust at the front of that. looks like a bust so far because he was a first-round pick. But behind him, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon, Antonio Gibson, you know, ranges of production and outlooks from here among those guys. But it was a very strong class. So I think that that clouds things a little bit. As you mentioned last year, we had Najee Harris at the top. We had Travis Etienne at the top, who we haven't seen in the regular season yet, but we're optimistic for Javante Williams early in the second round. And then after that, Trey Sermon, Michael Carter, Kenny Nwangwu. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson looks like a yeah. positive guy from that class. And he's a fourth rounder who's probably a little bit behind Damian Harris in New England. And then two years before that was a 2019 class that had Josh Jacobs in round one. And then the other like highlights look like David Montgomery and Damian Harris. So I think that this class probably stacks up decently, at least against 2019 and 2021. Yeah. And then when you factor in that the, you know, quarterback class is on the weaker side, I think the wide receiver class is okay. The tight end class is okay. Like I think relatively speaking, this running back class is pretty strong. And I think, you know, quite a few of these guys, you know, I think we know the top two will land early in dynasty rookie drafts. And I think there's going to be a few other guys that are going to sneak into round one, early round two. I'm assuming that I know the top two that you're referencing. So why don't you go ahead and hit me with the two guys? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. Um, I think the NFL have used those as clearly clearly the top two guys. I think both guys have a chance to sneak into round one. They'll probably both be off the board by the middle of round two. Hall, to me, checks all the boxes. He's he's my RB1. Three years of nice production at Iowa State. Earned a 99th percentile relative athletic score. Uh, 4'3", 940 at 217 pounds. Again, good rushing production at Iowa State. And what separates him from... Walker and puts Hall at one for me is the receiving production at Iowa State 23 23 and 36 catches in his two years there Um, he was 19th in PFF receiving grade among 241 running backs with 10 plus targets last year he he's not like an elite pass catcher like a Christian McCaffrey level pass catcher but he's gonna contribute in that department in the NFL I agree the production's there the testing was there he does he's not as flashy as some other top running backs have been if you watch him but the more you watch him, I think the better he gets. You realize the more subtle things that are actually more important to succeeding at the NFL level versus, you know, seeing more 40 plus yard runs, which aren't the kind of thing that the running back's generally creating for himself. You know, you mentioned he's good at receiving. Um, so, yeah, I think he's pretty easily at the top of the class. And I'm not falling over myself to make sure that I have him on a dynasty roster going forward, but. At the top of this class, I think he pretty easily belongs there. The biggest knock seems to be pass blocking. You know, that's one of those things that we talk about this time of year, and then it feels like basically never again throughout a football player's career. And it really only matters as much as his NFL team cares about it. So just for a little context, last year, according to PFF numbers, we had just 11 running backs in the entire league who pass blocked at least 60 times for the year that's three and a half per game over a 17 game season I don't think that too many NFL teams are going to be taking Brees Hall out for passing situations just to avoid those three and a half blocking situations per game yeah and I thought he I didn't think he was a disaster as a pass blocker you know at Iowa State I think he needs some work but most of these guys do I, I think pass blocking was a bigger concern if you look at some of the numbers for Kenneth Walker And I mean, Brees Hall, even if you want to look at where he played and wonder about level of competition, he could have gone to a better school than Iowa State. He had offers from bigger schools, but he apparently chose there because he he knew it was the quickest path to playing time for him. So I I don't really see any huge hurdles for Brees Hall. Obviously, anybody can turn into a bust, but I think he's going to pretty easily top our running back ranking. So tell me about Kenneth Walker a little bit more. Walker, I think you can definitely argue, and a lot of people do think he's the best pure runner in this class. Um, you know, he also crushed the athletic testing stuff at the combine, 92nd percentile relative athletic score, 43840 at 211 pounds. Now, Walker has just one big year of production. He started his career at Wake Forest, spent two years there, was stuck in a committee. It sounds like he didn't fit the offense. It was a really RPO heavy system they ran at Wake. Went to uh, Michigan State this past year and blew up, had a massive season. Uh, Walker was fourth in elusive rating among 173 qualifying running backs, according to PFF. So he did run behind a nice line at Michigan State. But I mean, that, you know, that wasn't all it was. Walker was creating a lot on his own. The knock on Walker, though, and what puts him behind Hall for me is he he has a big question mark in the passing game coming out. Just six catches in his two years at Wake Forest. And even last year as Michigan State's workhorse, just 13 catches, 3% market share of receiving yards. His yards per route run was, you know, among the worst in the country, his PFF receiving grade, 147th out of 241 qualifying running backs. So it wasn't just like he wasn't getting action. He wasn't very good when he did get action in the passing game. So that that's the big question on Walker is, you know, will he stay on the field in the NFL in obvious passing situations? Yeah, and of course, simply not getting to see the reps is a problem because the more that we have to guess, the easier it is to guess wrong. So that's the hesitation. That's what 
makes him easily behind um, Brees Hall here. I would be more concerned about just having the one big year of production if Kenneth Walker went from like Wake Forest to Liberty, say, or like a D2 school and then exploded. Going from there to Michigan State and doing his production there and being a Heisman candidate, I'm like, all right, he finally got his opportunity and he delivered on it. So I'm not too worried about that. There is a, a highlight video of his receiving in high school floating around there on Twitter. And I don't remember who put it out there that I saw it from. And it, it shows not only that he is capable of catching a football, but his high yeah. school team had him like run wide receiver routes. Um, clearly believed in him as a receiver. We'll see how much that matters. I mean, like I said, the less we see of it at the college level, the more projection is involved. So I think it'll be important to see where he goes and what his coaching staff says about how much it believes in his receiving ability once he's drafted. Yeah, I never put too much stock in the high school stuff. Like, I mean, I, like I know Kenneth Walker is capable of catching the football. Like, I don't question that. I, like, when you're in high school and you're an elite athlete, you're going to go D1 and you're playing against, you know, kids that aren't going to go D1. Like, your team's going to use you in a whole bunch of ways and try to get you the football in the passing game. The fact that Michigan State didn't want to get him the ball in the passing game and that Walker wasn't very good when they did, you know, that's that, that's a red flag to me. So if those guys are pretty easily number two, is there – a favorite for number three, or does it start getting jumbled for you? I think it's wide open for RB3. The guy I have there right now, and I have no idea how high he's going to go in the NFL draft. It sounds like it might not be that high, which will probably force me to lower him, is Rashad White out of Arizona State. Big check mark in the athleticism box, 99th percentile relative athletic score. Uh, he's six foot, 214 pounds, ran a 448. So has the side, has the size, has the speed. White started his college career in, in D2. Then he spent two years at junior college. So just two years of, you know, big time D1 play. And one of those years, 2020, was, you know, the COVID shortened season. So White played just four games. But then last year, he ran for 1,000 yards and 15 touchdowns on 182 carries, caught 43 balls for 456 yards in his score. To me, White looks like the best receiving back in this class. So there, there's 30 running backs. I kind of dug into the numbers for in this class, white leads all 30 in PFF receiving grade and yards per route run and share of his team's receiving yards this past season. So again, I think he is ready to contribute right away in the passing game. And he's 214 pounds with pretty nice rushing numbers too. So I think there's some, you know, maybe untapped rushing potential there. I, I see some David Johnson in his game where he has the size as a runner. He, you know, I think he has work to do, as a runner, but he has the size to get it done there. And he, again, he's just excellent in the passing game. So I think there, there's some like David Johnson type upside to a shot, but not saying he's going to have, you know, the massive seasons Johnson did, but just the type of player that uh, white can be in the NFL. Yeah. I did the write up on white for our prospect scattering report series. And I agree. I, I like the whole package that we have going on here. I love the receiving work. The, the games that I was able to see for him, I didn't see any of the like splitting him out wide and running him downfield or, you know, there wasn't a range of routes. It was pretty much all short stuff, but you know, that's just what I saw. We have the PFF grade numbers that you mentioned. Um, and we have the volume, which is, uh, which is huge. You know, it says something about what Arizona state had going on a receiver. It might've said something about their quarterback play too. the passes being of the shorter variety. I know that they had mm -hmm. a dual threat quarterback, but you know, what we did see from Rashad White, I like, you mentioned that he started at D2 and then went to junior college. His family actually told him not to go. They didn't want him to go the junior college route. And he was like, no, nah, I think this is my path to D1. And it ended up working out that way. And I thought that was cool because it's also kind of the way he ran when I watched him is he was good at finding the optimal path. Like he, there were situations where 
lots of other running backs who had enough speed would just take off in the opposite direction away from traffic and just try to beat everybody around the edge. But he would actually find the path through the defense that would give him the nine yards needed to convert the first down instead of trying to bounce out a big play. So that was what really jumped out to me with white versus other guys that I watched so far. He really is though, like the start of that tier of running backs where we're going to have to see where they go. Cause if he goes early round three, I'm very intrigued. If he goes round five, then I'm gonna have to be like, uh, all right, maybe he's not as good as I thought he was. Yeah. I'm super interested to see how high he goes. I, 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 you know, I hope he lands somewhere on day two. Again, you know, we only have 200, 20 or so carries from white at the D1 level. But last year, his PFF rushing grade was 11th among 170 qualifying backs. It was actually just behind Kenneth Walker, and it was ahead of Brees Hall. Of Brees Hall. Um, and, and white also beat Hall in PFF's elusive rating. So, you know, smaller sample, but there's definitely some stuff to get excited about with, with uh, white as a runner. And for what it's worth, he was playing under former NFL coach and Herm Edwards at Arizona State. So, you know, some potential familiarity with the pro game as well as a, a mentor to kind of help him get going down that path. What other running back are you interested in seeing the draft capital of or, you know, just excited about? Yeah, well, we should probably talk about Isaiah Spiller because he's like generally viewed as the third best running back in this class. And, you know, he might be the third running back off the board. I think he's okay. Like he doesn't excite me. The testing stuff at the combine was subpar, 44th percentile relative athletic score, ran just a 4.6340 at 217 pounds. So that puts him at a, a speed score below that, you know, kind of 100 mark that we want to see. It was 94.4 for Spiller. So that that's a concern. I think it matches the tape too. Like he's not an electric runner. He doesn't have breakaway speed, but he looks like a smart runner. A lot of the scouting reports I read on him, you know, say he's a smart runner. He's going to maximize what's there uh, in front of him. He was a three-year contributor at AM and also had pretty good, numbers in the passing game 29 20 and 25 catches for Spiller in his three seasons so I don't see like huge upside for Spiller but I do think beyond Walker and Hall Spiller's probably the the safest bet to be an NFL contributor in this running back class I don't see a whole lot in this range that I'm really looking to take a stand for I mean I'm gonna let draft capital sort out a lot of the guys in this range one player though that I think has been getting a little bit too much love and I'm ready to take a stand against is Zamir White for Georgia and he was a heralded recruit I believe he was the ninth overall recruit in his draft class the top running back he's got two ACL tears behind him though in school he left the field for receiving situations James Cook came on for receptions it was somebody else the year before that as well so just somebody that wasn't getting catches unlike Kenneth Walker was not not throwing to running backs was the team saying we're going to throw to somebody else you can keep running it for us I, I don't see explosive cuts again from a guy that's coming off two ACL tears during his college career so we basically got a fast power back who's not huge he's 215 pounds yeah. I, I just I don't see a reason to get excited about Zamir White right now we'll see where he lands and what his NFL team says about him but uh, to me, he's the kind of guy who just never becomes something exciting from a yeah. fantasy standpoint in the current NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of get why people are excited. Like I think you mentioned, he was you know big time. I, I think he was the number one recruit in his class, um, and obviously played in some loaded backfields 
at Georgia. So, you know, that you can ex- maybe explain away some of the fact that he didn't, you know, take on huge workloads. I was surprised he ran the, the four, four flat at the combine. I didn't see like blazing speed on tape. He's definitely more of a power runner. But I think you mentioned the important thing is that I don't think he's going to be much of a contributor in the passing game in the NFL. So I think his upside is like a, is a two down grinder. And, you know, that's just not super exciting for fantasy football. Yeah, I think there was some burst, some short area burst on there, but he also wasn't beating his teammates in yards per carry. So there's just yeah. there's no single thing that makes me think we're getting the same type of you know yeah. prospect that the colleges thought they were getting um, back in that process. Who's another running back that interests you? The last guy I wanted to talk about is Damian Pierce, who never got big workloads at Florida, which I think is the biggest knock against him. He also kind of he, he ran a four five nine forty. So it was at 218 pounds, so 98.2 speed score. So he just barely missed kind of the 100 threshold we're looking for. But I'm not super concerned about the athleticism. He actually earned a 70th percentile relative athletic score. So he did pretty well in the other testing stuff. Again, never, you know, he never topped 8.8 carries per game in a season at Florida. Had double-digit carries in just nine of his 48 career games. But he looks good on tape to me. PFF loves this guy. You know, Pierce led all 173 qualifying backs in PFF rushing grade last season and was fifth among those guys in elusive rating. So kind of the underlying stuff is good. And he also can contribute in the passing game, 45 career catches for Pierce, including 36 over the last two seasons. And he was 10th in PFF receiving grade among those 241 backs with 10 plus targets last year. So I think he's a guy, you know, Kind of, and not saying he's going to be Alvin Kamara, but like Alvin Kamara, where you know he maybe does more as a pro than he did in college. Um, it's funny, actually. Uh, Florida's coach w- was fired after this. He was actually fired midway through this past season. So you know, maybe um, you know, not using Pierce enough was was a reason he got canned. <laughs> That's right. Uh, two other running backs I want to bring up are Kyron Williams and Tyler Algier. And, and Kyron Williams was somebody that at the beginning of draft season was going. Uh, right around RB 40 in best ball ADP. So I uh, already hit me as a bit overrated. And then I watched him for the scouting report and I was like, yeah, it still looks overrated to me, especially with the testing stuff. But mm-hmm. when you do watch him, you see somebody that was a workhorse back for Notre Dame um, can clearly pass block can catch passes, even did some returning. So he has since dipped in popularity because of that terrible scouting combine, the bad 40 there, tested better at his pro day. So I think when you combine all of that together, and if he continues to be more lightly regarded as we get into rookie draft season, I think he goes from being overrated to much more intriguing. Because if Kyron Williams is on the board round three of rookie drafts or even later, I think he's an intriguing guy who could get on the field early in his NFL career and, you know, either boost his value for the trade market or actually give us worthwhile contributions. If he's inside the first two rounds of a rookie draft, I'm not nearly as interested. Yeah. yeah that's a guy I'm curious to see how the NFL views him. Do they, you know, lean on the production over the past two seasons at a you know, big time school in Notre Dame, or do they knock him for the athletic testing 28th percentile relative athletic score for Kyron, Kyron Williams. So definitely, you know, where you start to get worried, you know, is he just not athletic enough to make it at the NFL level? I, you know, my comp for Kyron Williams is James White. If you look at their measurables, they're pretty similar. And White, if you remember, handled pretty big rushing workloads too at Wisconsin and then, you know, gets to the NFL and he's, you know, been mostly just a pass catching specialist. I think that's the route that Kyron Williams is going to go. And, you know, of course, you know, White lands in a situation with Tom Brady and he's, you know, a big time fantasy producer. I think Williams has that type of ceiling if he lands in the perfect spot. But I think, you know, more likely than not, he's going to be someone who, you know, isn't, isn't getting the ball enough to be someone we can, you know, use in fantasy. 
Yeah, and if you find somebody who projects like uh, James White, Naheem Hines, there's always just going to be a capped ceiling to his fantasy yep. production. So, you know, not exciting, but if he's getting late enough into rookie drafts, there's a path to giving us meaningful numbers. And then my last guy, Tyler Algier, the opposite, really, of Zamir White, an unheralded recruit out of high school who barely got any looks, became a three-down workhorse at BYU by the end of his career. And that path included him moving temporarily to linebacker to fill in for injuries there because he had played both linebacker and running back in high school. He's not a special prospect from the speed agility standpoint, but he's, he's like fast enough for the size that he is. There are multiple Zach Moss comps on him. And that certainly looks negative right now, given that Zach Moss Mm -hmm. disappointed us all last year, but like that's an okay place to be. Zach Moss was a fourth round pick. There are plenty of backs that are decent from that round four range. And really this class has a ton of Zach Mosses and Chuba Hubbards. I think nobody has that Chuba Hubbard 2000 yard season to make him look more exciting than he really is. But there are lots of guys in that range where they're just like fine. And if they land in the right spot, they could give us some worthwhile fantasy relevance. Yeah. I saw it was from Dane Brugler, a um, James Connor comp for Tyler Algier, which I kind of like, I don't think Algier is as good in the passing game as Connor, but I think as a runner, I see some, some similarities and, you know, Algier is 224 pounds. So he has the size to be that early down hammer. I don't think he's going to you know, be a big contributor in the passing game in the NFL, but, but he's good enough where he can do it. He can give us, you know, maybe 20 or 30 catches. So he, he's definitely someone, um, you know, in that tier for me, um, that big, you know, tier two behind uh, Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. And somebody that, as long as he doesn't go too early in a rookie draft, will be much more interesting. Yep. On to the quarterbacks here, Jared. What's your kind of overview on the quarterback class? Yeah, I mean, it's nowhere close to the last two classes. I, I do think, I think it's it's funny. I think this quarterback class is better, or I guess potentially better for fantasy than it is for real life because all five of the top five guys that are probably going to come off the board in the NFL draft have some rushing upside. I mean, we know Malik Willis has it. We'll, we'll talk about him, but the other four guys, Corral, Howell, Ritter, and Pickett all have some rushing upside where, you know, maybe they can be better fantasy producers than they are in real life. Yeah. So I think that the NFL draft is going to tell us a lot about this quarterback class. Like if Kenny Pickett goes sixth to Carolina, and then we have, you know, four of them in the first round, Mm -hmm. then it's probably better in terms of fantasy outlook than we think right now if on the other hand we see one guy go at like 20 and nobody else go in the first round then I think it's time to say okay this is kind of what we all thought of this class and don't get too excited about anybody I think that's my general stance on the group is don't get too excited about anybody but there are certainly some potential helpers here and I think you're right like all five of those guys have some potential to help and it'll depend on where they land and, right. you know, what they're able to do development-wise. Obviously, a big part of that is where they land, whether they get a coaching staff that is capable of developing them and kind of like building an offense around them rather than fitting them into something that doesn't work. Yeah, that's a big question. Like, we know Malik Willis is rushing is going to be a, a big part of his game wherever he lands. I'm curious to see, you know, these there's other four guys, you know, do their – coaching staffs call like design runs for them, or is it just kind of just, you know, they, they run when play breaks down, they need to scramble. That's, that's kind of the big question I have. So is Malik Willis the clear one yeah. for you right now before we get the draft answers? Yeah, he, he is. And I don't see a way where for fantasy, any of these guys passes Malik Willis. And it's just cause the upside, like if Willis hits with his rushing ability and he has the arm, like I know there are questions about his accuracy and his processing and he played at Liberty 
Um, so there are questions there. Uh, he he kind of reminds me of like Josh Allen as a passing prospect. And I mean, Allen is still a major outlier, the strides he's made in the NFL as far as accuracy and that stuff goes. Um, but just the rushing ability alone, over 2,200 re- uh, rushing yards for Malik Willis over the past two seasons, if you omit sacks, which, you know, the NCAA uh, deducts rushing yards for sacks. I still don't know why they didn't do that. He has that. I don't want to say he's like Lamar Jackson upside as a runner, but he, he at least has like Jalen Hurts level potential as a runner. So, you know, that fact alone, you know, again, if Willis hits, he, he could be a top five fantasy quarterback. 16th percentile passing EPA in 2021, according to numbers that Hayden Winks posted yesterday. You know, EPA, just in case you're you're not familiar, is is uh, expected points added. So, you know, basically a roundup of what a player's value is, either on a per play basis or a total basis. So it's kind of it's it's a good way to measure the impact of a player. And Malik Willis obviously worth a lot more from the rushing standpoint, and that's why we're chasing him in fantasy. And I agree that the rushing alone means that if he does work out and work out could just mean that he plays well enough to stay on the field. He doesn't need to be a superstar real life quarterback. If he's staying on the field, then he's going to get us rushing yards and score us fantasy points. The downside risk is that he's Vince Young, I think, and doesn't ever do anything besides run and doesn't stay on the field beyond his rookie contract. And, you know, kind of to your point there, it's worth the gamble because if we do take Malik Willis in a rookie draft and he doesn't work out, we're going to have lots more opportunities to replace him. And and most of us who get Malik Willis on that team will probably already have another okay quarterback around in case of the ultimate Malik Willis failure. So there's really, there's not a whole lot of downside to taking a chance on the highest upside runner. Yeah, I mean, I do think where it's going to get tough, and, and we can get into this more after the draft, but is in the super flex or two quarterback dynasty drafts. Like, do you take Malik Willis more overall, knowing again he has the top five upside and quarterbacks are so valuable in that format, or do you, you know, pass on him for the much, much safer guys like Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker? Yeah, I think some of that will be current roster construction, and that's where I think we take into account how strong the other players are. Like, Just because you're the number one running back in this class doesn't mean you're a special fantasy running back overall. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll, I think we'll dig further into that. But for now, Malik Willis, top fantasy quarterback. And so let's talk about some of the other guys. How I don't know, do you want to give your loose ranking of them behind Willis or just go player yeah. by player? I mean, it's, it's, it's super loose and none of these four stand out from the other. I think they all have negatives, especially as passers, but again, they all bring some level of rushing upside. I I think pre-draft I'm going to have Matt Corral as my number two quarterback had a good two seasons uh, over the past two years under Lane Kiffin. And he ran for almost 1400 yards omitting sacks over the last two seasons. So I think to, to me, Corral behind Willis has the, best upside when you factor in his arm and his athleticism and, and, you know, ability to add fantasy value with his legs. I think all the rest of these guys are really kind of in a bag for me and I'll blindly look in and grab one out and, you know, it'll be sorted out by how they're drafted. It seems like Kenny Pickett is most highly thought of, but that could just be the draft buzz season. He's coming off easily the biggest year among these guys, but it's also the only big year that he had in college. And I think when you watch him, he looks more like a really good college quarterback than he does, you know, a surefire pro 
starter even much less yeah. a star i was looking at lance zierlein's profile on him today and his comp was prime andy dalton and i think that's fair i mean you kind of say that chuckling but like mm-hmm. for a quarterback to come out of college having andy dalton's career that'd be pretty good he had a solid run in cincinnati he was also an early second round pick and never a special fantasy quarterback and i think that's most likely what we're looking at for kenny pickett and really the rest of the top quarterbacks here yeah, you said it with Pickett. It's just that he has just the one year of big college production. And that was his fifth season in college. I mean, he's an older guy coming out, like you said. It didn't really break out into that final year. Now, his 2021 was awesome. Like, he was first in PFF passing grade in the entire country, fourth in adjusted completion rate. And the, the interesting thing about Pickett, and you, you see it on film, On you know, he had a few long runs this passing season, but he tested as a 95th percentile athlete at quarterback. So I think, you know, he again, he does – had the potential to, you know, maybe give us 300, 400 rushing yards per season as a pro. Other guys, and I agree with you on Matt Corral. I've, I've taken him a little bit in the, the uh, Superflex underdog tournament. I think Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell are really the other two guys worth paying some attention to right now. And we'll see whether the NFL says, says otherwise. But both of these guys also can kind of, I guess, quietly run the ball better than you mm-hmm. probably realize. Desmond Ritter is especially intriguing to me because he had four good starting years with a peak as a senior, you know, like Pickett had that best year in the last year, but unlike Pickett, he wasn't just, you know, kind of a dude over the first three years. He had good numbers through those first three years, a good runner throughout his career, over 350 rushing yards every season, 43.6 rushing yards per game. And that's even including yardage taken away for sacks, 50 games for Desmond Ritter. So we like the experience from a quarterback, like the rushing ability. There's been positive buzz on him. It seems like he's trending toward getting into round one. He's probably the guy that I'm most intrigued to see just yeah. where he lands draft-wise for valuing him. Yeah, me too. And then the more and more I read and hear, it sounds like Ritter is going to go in the first round of the NFL draft. He tested as a 96th percentile athlete at quarterback. And if you look at his measurables, very similar to Marcus Mariota. Mariota probably disappointed as a runner in the NFL. Like I think we thought he had more upside, but if Ritter could do anything, you know, close to what Mariota did as a runner, that 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 you know make him a guy who can give us quarterback one fantasy seasons. Yeah, I mean Mariota has disappointed us in everything in the NFL, but he also went second overall in that class, and nobody was like, "What are you doing?" Marcus Mariota doesn't right. belong there. So you know that's the thing is if you're getting somebody. 30th in the NFL he's probably going to a better team which you know should give him a better chance to develop in the NFL and we'll see about all that the NFL has showed us that they don't even know what makes a good quarterback prospect and they don't know what guy we can count on to produce so you know we'll watch and see where he lands but I'm very intrigued by Desmond Ritter heading in yeah me too and then Sam Howell is the the last guy here I think has a chance to sneak into round one he's the youngest among these five quarterbacks Howell had the big 2020 season with Javante Williams and Michael Carter, Diami Brown, Daz Newsom, who was a Bears draft pick. All those guys left after 2020 and Howell kind of took a step back this past season. So that's the concern with him was he kind of just a product of all the NFL talent in 2020. But again, he's the youngest of these guys. So I think maybe he has the most room for growth and Howell ran for over 800 yards and 11 touchdowns this past season. So you know, again, he has some rushing upside. Yeah. You mentioned all the talent leaving and I, I've seen, I've seen people comp him to, Justin Herbert in that where Herbert was, you know, the starter throughout at Oregon and everybody loved him early in his career. And then the talent around him just kind of fell off as we went on and people started picking apart things to Mm -hmm. dislike. It it seems like some of that with Howell, his numbers weren't terrible. His final season, even with all that exodus to the NFL. So 
I'm not overly concerned. It's something to watch and we'll see where he goes. But as you mentioned, as the receivers left, he started running and ran for 828 yards in his final season, which was a huge jump from the year before. So he's still producing. You like that. I, I like that he throws a nice deep ball because if we can get a quarterback that runs enough and throws deep enough, I mean, that's a winning combo in fantasy. So I agree. I'm very intrigued on Sam Howell. And I, you know, I think there's a chance that he gives us some super flex value in these rookie mm-hmm. drafts coming up. Cause I don't think he's going to go super early. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, I think all these guys have such wide ranges of outcomes. Like I, I could see all of them not starting by the end of their rookie contracts, but again, because of the rushing ability they have, I think all five of them have the potential to, you know, give us some you know top 12 fantasy seasons. Yeah. And I want to run through some more of those EPA numbers from Hayden. I mean, Hayden Winks, I mentioned plenty on this show, so I'm obviously a fan and everybody here is probably following him. So just look at the stuff that he puts out there. Uh, I was glad to see he put out EPA because I had been (laughs) looking for that stat yesterday. It's like he's, it's like I've got a a connection there, but anyway, 2021 EPA per play, which is everything wrapped into one. Kenny Pickett led this class and put up a 90th percentile EPA per play number versus all quarterbacks that have been drafted since 2005. So that obviously stands up very well versus, you know, the draft universe for a while now. Matt Corral is next among the group of five that we've been talking about, 66th percentile, just fifth in this class. And that's EPA per play. Malik Willis, 57th percentile. Sam Howell, 55th. Desmond Ritter, 54th. So you can kind of see just how bunched together these guys are and how much it's going to matter exactly where they go in the draft and then what's around them. If we separate out passing EPA, Kenny Pickett, 94th percentile in pass in total passing EPA last season. And again, that's compared with all drafted quarterbacks since 2005. Beyond that, Sam Howell, 47th, Matt Corral, 44th, Desmond Ritter, 48th, Malik Willis, 16th. So, you know, that's what you need to watch out for with this class is we're ranking them against each other, but we also need to rank them against history a little bit and realize that as long as you're not taking too big a stand on any of these quarterbacks, that's probably your best position. I mean, Pickett's 2021 was awesome. You kind of, no matter how you look at it, but again, it goes back to, you know, the fact that he did nothing over, you know, four years in college and it took him till his fifth year to do that. The the last thing I wanted to mention on Willis is, you know, you mentioned the EPA, Um, his passing numbers were definitely underwhelming. The, The one area where he was good was passing deep 92 quarterbacks had 40 plus deep attempts last season. This is according to PFF Willis ranked third among those 92 in PFF passing grade. He was 16th among those 92 in adjusted completion rate. So he got better throwing deep, which again, it's kind of what what you want in fantasy. Willis is kind of like built to like score fantasy points. If he can be just good enough to, you know, stay on the NFL field. Yeah. If uh, let an NFL team figure out what it needs to do to make him long-term successful. If we get a guy who is just okay and runs the ball and throws it deep a lot. I mean, we've got Jameis Winston. Yep, exactly. Jameis Winston with wheels. Actually, we've got Jameis Winston's arm and Vince Young's legs. That would be the ultimate ceiling for Malik Willis. There you go. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. Check out the scouting reports on all 27 prospects we have done so far with more to come as the draft draws ever closer. If you're a DS insider, you can also take advantage of our constantly updated 2022 rankings and the live draft war room just waiting to sync with your league site. New this year, the draft war room is also loaded for dynasty startup and rookie drafts. So 
Jump in now. We're ready to help you with your startups. We're ready to help you with those rookie drafts that are either going now or about to come right after the NFL draft. We're ready to help you win, whatever the format. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaff saying thanks so much for swimming with us.